0: welcome to the between the Tines outdoor podcast where it's all about gaining more knowledge strategies management and telling great hunting camp stories so set back and enjoy today's guest
1: Welcome to Between the Times Outdoor Podcast. Today's guest is Shane Simpson. He is by far one of the public land best turkey hunters I have seen in a long, long time. And a lot of people might know Shane. They probably follow him on YouTube. Sit back for a few minutes and we've got to get him on the line. How you doing, Shane?
2: Hey, man. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
1: Good, good. Glad to know we saved you from going grocery <laughs> shopping. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I this hope your I, know I right. hope your girlfriend ain't ain't listening. Uh, she's she's off shopping. Yeah,
2: she tried to get me to go go shopping. I was like, Oh, I don't want to go shopping. And then, then you text me about the podcast, remind me about the podcast. And I'm like, thank God, <laughs> I got to go, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. you got to my... get, get out now. <laughs>
1: yeah, got a good got a good way to get out for all the people's listening. Shane, do you mind telling them who you are and what is your Best thing to do because, far as we know, you're by far one of the best turkey hunters and turkey callers. I would not go that far, but uh,
2: <laughs> I've had pretty good success on the on, on the turkey hunting uh, scene. Yeah, I so uh, a little bit about myself. Shane Simpson grew up and born and raised in South Carolina. Moved up here in Minnesota you know, 12 13 years ago. Started hunting public land when I was little. When my parents sold their property and uh, Got into a little bit of video, videoing back then. had bought me a, a big old uh, RCA VHS shoulder mounted camcorder. Saved up my money for that. Didn't do much with the footage, just kind of filming it just to save the memory. When I moved up to Minnesota, I, because of their short sea turkey season up here and turkey hunting is kind of a passion. I, I, I like deer hunting too, but turkey hunting is kind of the thing I love most. But short seasons and uh, only one bird you could uh, turkey tag you feel, I started looking for people to let me accompany them and film their hunts and and as a way to let them see the hunts instead of trying to burn it on DVDs and stuff I just started uh, putting it on YouTube and that way they could share it that way and took it off after a while and here I am today I'm kind of doing a little YouTube show on turkey hunting.
1: We actually had a few people ask about having you on here. And when I looked it up, your name popped up.
2: I've been pro staffing for, with hooks for quite a few years now.
1: And I know that alcohol they have is unbelievable.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a, a good one. It's uh, won a lot of competitions as far as, I mean, I mean a lot of participants. In, I've, I've done well in competition. You know, James Harrison's won a lot of Grand National Championships, he's the one that created it. Um, a lot of other guys you see on the Grand National stage use that out here. It's definitely a great sounding out
1: here. I got my buddy, Ricky Bayham. He's the local taxidermist around here. He's in on the show too, also. So Shane, here's Ricky. What's up, Shane? How much?
3: How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing good, man. My brother follows you on YouTube and he, he's, he's, he, you know, he's been talking about you for a couple of weeks to me. So I've been watching your videos too, man. They're awesome. Appreciate that.
2: Appreciate that. Making some
1: more here, <laughs> Timmy. Yeah, y'all about to kick it off here shortly, huh?
3: Yeah, I got
2: another uh, two weeks. I'll kick it off down there in Mississippi. I'll be in New Orleans first. I'm gonna go down there for a little short vacation for a few days, and and then uh, family's gonna fly back home, and then I'm gonna take off, honey.
1: Oh yeah, that should but be fun. I actually,
2: I actually, I'll be in a multiple locations in Mississippi. I'm going to to one location first, and then I'm going right later in the week I'll. Out to another one, so I'm gonna be hitting a couple different places. Oh okay. yeah. See what like in different
1: parts. Yeah, you get into some hills depending on where you are. Yeah. Do
2: they ha- do they have many hills in, in Mississippi? I haven't. I haven't found a whole lot of hills.
1: It depends. You know, South. I'm gonna just say the Homachita National Forest has yes. a pretty good bit of hills. Pretty I'm not nice. sure if that's one of your locations you plan on going, but for the most part, I think pretty much Southwest Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi has some pretty good hills.
2: I, I imagine I can handle any hills that Mississippi has. I mean, these new uh, these hills in, in Minnesota, will, man, they will uh, <laughs> they will test you out for <laughs> sure. But they have is. mountains, but they might as well be called mountains.
3: Yeah. I watched the video last night, Shane, when, when the guy killed the turkey that rolled all the way to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in
2: Iowa. Believe it or not, they got big ones in Iowa, too. Yeah, that turkey rolled down that hill, and I think it was like about 300, 300 plus feet in elevation. On that, side of the, on that side of the hill, it was a, a real steep. And <laughs> that turkey almost ran to the bottom. He said it got caught up in a cedar tree or, or it would have rolled all the way to the bottom. <laughs> I know I was yelling his
1: name and he couldn't hear me.
3: Have you seen that video, Dustin?
1: Yeah, I seen, I watched yeah. it. At the, that was last year, wasn't it, Shane? Yeah, that was yeah. last year in Iowa. Way down That's the free. hill. Yeah, I was like, "Yoo hoo!" <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how it is at the Homachilla. Them hills are so steep in there, and yeah. I was listening. Uh, well, I was watching one of them where you were talking about topo map, the different lines on there. Turkey's coming downhill, going uphill, but that's the way it is. Kind of at the Homachilla National Forest, they get a lot of hills in there, and yeah. some of them go straight up and straight back down, and they may have like a little, you know, like an old flat top on it. Each ridge. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's one place you've gone, but I tell you about being there year to year, it's packed, really packed. Yeah. Even though it's one of the largest places. I don't know about the, the north side of it, but I do know about the, the central and the, and the south side of it. It, it stays pretty busy during turkey so like, season. I'm like I need to stay away
2: from
3: there,
1: man. <laughs> yeah yeah but they do got a lot of birds yeah not saying you can't kill them you'll be joined by a lot more people
3: (laughs) them Uh, birds don't like going downhill (laughs) yeah Shane knows all about it I think I think uh Mississippi
2: just has a lot of birds in general I mean it seems like uh you know when I've I've been there a few times now probably about five or six total over the years right and I ride around I see I see birds crossing the road all the time and yeah, you know, I go to some states, I never see birds crossing a road. So they obviously must have a pretty good population in the state of
0: Mississippi.
1: I reckon we ought to get into it pretty deep as far as no, somebody looking in.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so given your ability to have so much public land you turkey hunt, your hunting success, can you tell the listeners how you decide what specific area or track on public land you're looking at and detailing it out for maybe a new hunter or even the average hunter like you know a weekend warrior
2: oh man that's that's a tough question to answer i mean it's you know it's you know i look at a new state sometimes i want to go hunt you know say michigan for instance i just posted a, a michigan video on my channel and i didn't pick um you know the location based on scouting the whole state i just I looked at what tags were available for, because so they have some that are available for June. So I just picked one of those zones, because it's the state's divided the zones. I picked one of those zones based on what would give me the best odds to draw a tag. And then when I drew the tag, I was like, okay, now I need to scout this zone. And that zone had, you know, it had several big chunks of public. I don't I don't know what they're called. I don't think they're national cars, but they were just big chunks. And then there's a bunch of smaller ones. And, um, you know, basically the way I was picking it, it's like, you know, a lot of times I go out of state fish if it's my first time ever going there. I, I like to pick a bigger spot, just to concentrate on one location, basically, instead of trying to drive all over and hop a bunch of little spots
1: Yeah, just trying um, to cut it so up I, a little pick,
2: bit. Yeah, you know, I dedicate, like, a whole day to scouting. You know, cause I'm, I'm hitting multiple states and so I'll dedicate a day of cyber scouting. You know, I've narrowed it down to one of those tracks of land. I scouted both of them and, uh, or there was two of them I had keyed down to, or uh, narrowed it down to. I had cyber scouted both of them, but one I just seemed to, seemed to like better than the other just by the way, the, the lay of the land. Um, the other one had seemed like more areas of the property that weren't conducive for turkeys to scrub or some low wetlands or something. And so the other one just had more drier ground and, and more mature trees and a lot of transitions, you know, between, it looked like some old forest cuttings, like they clear cut areas years ago and you know, mature, next to mature forest. The, the land was pretty flat out there. So uh, really couldn't go off the top of those. I was just basically hunting flat land. So I was really concentrating on top of um, transition lines between two different habitat types, you know, old, forest and mature forest, and um, that's that's kind of what I did. Then I looked at access points, and sometimes you can look at access and, and say, okay, what's going to deter somebody from going there, or somebody going from here, and then, or picking this one over that one. But in some of these public areas, there's so many parking lots and gates and roads and forest roads that it's just that you never know which one. I mean, there's so much easy access, you basically just gotta ignore that at that point and just pick um, spots based on what what do you think to have turkeys. And trans, that's, that's one of my main features that I look for in areas that the, the land is flat overall is transition lines between different habitat types. Now, when I get into more hilly type areas like Minnesota where I hunt, um, I'll look at some of the, the topographical graphical features and uh, scout that way also.
1: Is scouting turkeys kind of like Scouting for deer when you're using onyx, I don't know if that's what you use. Uh, I, I think you do. Yeah, I use onyx. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we use. Does it kind of compare when scouting turkeys and deer? Uh, or
2: for deer, I'm mainly looking for bedding and feeding and the areas they're gonna travel between the two. Right. For turkeys, I'm looking for um, areas that they may you know feed or hang out in. just places that just look like uh, good turkey habitat where the mainly you're scouting the hens for the most part you know what what area is going to attract hens and hold and be suitable for turkeys and that's going to have the gobblers too you know creek bottoms if you can find it um those transition lines like i keep mentioning that there's a lot of food around those transition lines there's, you know you don't like to sit here and have a plate of food in front of you and just be all mashed potatoes you like to have a variety meatloaf and and some green beans like going you know, to Golden
1: Corral, huh?
2: Yeah, like a buffet. So, those transition lines usually have stuff like that. You know, they'll have oaks over here with acorns. You know, there'll be some green stuff sprouting up and little bugs and stuff. And there's some in the thick cover. You know, it's just, it offers a, a mix of food types they can get into. And, so, and plus, the, the thicker cover along transition lines, if you can find like open wood next to the thicker cover, it allows it to easy escape. Um, and, you know, just, it's just, it's all the critters out there in the woods, like transition lines, and that's kind of why I focus on them.
1: So is that what you do when you're, when you're home, trying to locate a specific public land area, or just say you drive all the way down here and the area is totally different from the way it looks on uh, Onyx, right? When you get down here, do you drive around and you drop some pins and go to each yeah, I, area that you're uh, looking to hunt from cyber, cyber scout? Yeah, so
2: I yeah, so I'm already, I'm already going to drop 10 in advance. Well, I'm cyber scouting. Like, I've already had some of my Mississippi spots. Um, I haven't finished yet. I'm going to do some more to see. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I do a difference in, in the south versus the north. Say, Michigan, I drop I ever I think there's going to be good habitat. And down in Mississippi, I kind of look for areas where I can get deep into the woods and make a huge circle. Because um, truth be known, if if you if you're not aware, southern hunters, especially Mississippi and Alabama and those parts of Georgia, are more diehard turkey hunters down there than they are in Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree.
2: So with that. Yeah. you know you you got to be you got to be a little little you got to be on your A game down there, so to speak.
1: <laughs> kind of like on your P's and uh, Q's. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I I take my uh, scouting, fiber scouting for areas down in the south much more serious than, say, in Michigan, where I just drop a bunch of pins where I think will be good areas and I go check them out. Mississippi, for instance, I have a bunch of spots that look, okay, I can get in here. It'll take me about a mile to get back in there. I can, once it gets daylight, then I can walk this direction, work in these little ridges or this transition line, or this creek, whatever I decide to follow and and make a, a three or four mile loop and cover a lot of ground. And I'm 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 scouting with boots on the ground at that point also while I'm hunting. Um, also, you know, if I get there in advance, then I may ride around and just look at the areas where I'm going to drop pins. I won't be able to see them from the road, but at least I'll be able to see, you know, what the trees look like. Have they done done any burns? If it's uh, an area that that gets burned, sometimes they, they don't do a whole lot up this way, but south yeah, they, they seem to do it in fine. Yeah, parts. they do a
3: pretty good bit um, of burning. Have you hunted Mississippi a good bit before, Shane? I was there in 2009 and like
2: 2012, and then I've hunted it like three years and two or three years in a row now uh, since. So I've, I've been there like five or six times.
3: Yeah. I, I was just curious uh, on your opinion, like um, as far as like, let's just say Mississippi birds versus Midwest birds, which one do you think is a tougher bird to kill? Well, I, I, I see that
2: comment a lot or that statement a lot amongst people. They say, you know, you can kill a, a turkey in Mississippi, you can kill one anywhere. I think you have to narrow it down to a pressured bird. So a pressured bird in Mississippi versus a pressured bird in saying up here. Right. Um, Mississippi is going to be a little tougher because I just think they're they're more pressured, and I think that they get pressured more often. <laughs> it just seems like they have it in their genetics to be a little more skittish. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. The area, one of the public areas I hunt up here in Minnesota, gets hammered a lot, and some of those birds will will act just like a, a one of those hard headed public birds you run into down south. Right. But uh, I don't think. I don't know. I Man, it's, it's hard to even answer something like that. It's, I don't think there's any state where it's, uh, like a turkey is hard another. I think if anything, it's hard to find a turkey or find an undisturbed turkey, like someone another hunter's not going to come in on you. Yeah, that's much tougher down south. Is get hunting without interference from other hunters. That's where the difficulty comes in. Yeah,
1: I completely agree with that. Yeah, because I noticed in the last you know couple of years. It seems like, I don't know if they just had a bad deer season <laughs> and they just leaning toward turkey season. Yeah, you know, Shane? Yeah, yep. it's like everybody's a turkey hunter, you know?
2: Well, that, that seems to be everywhere. I mean, it seems like turkey hunting is just taken off in, in recent years. Um, a lot of people are, are trying it out and watching it.
1: It's definitely um, fun.
2: Yeah, I've always wondered why there's so many, you know, the deer hunters outnumber the turkey hunters like 10 to one or more. And I always wondered why that is. And, and because to me, turkey hunting, there is nothing like turkey hunting. I, now, I enjoy deer hunting. But if I had to give one up, I'd give up the deer hunting in the heartbeat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess with deer, it's a lot easier just to go somewhere and sit and, and um, shoot one. Definitely. Where, where tur- turkey sometimes requires a little, a little more strategy and the and willingness to put in some effort.
1: Yeah, I've noticed my daughter over the last couple of years, we hunt in Missouri most of the time, but she much rather turkey hunt than deer hunt any day, which is good because I like turkey hunting.
2: My daughter's the daughter, same way. Yeah. yeah.
1: She much rather turkey hunt she than is. deer hunt any day. I just got to teach her, be more still as a as a gobblers coming in. We're working on that. She's 13, but it takes time. You can, tell it, you, it. you can tell them over and over, but it takes time that a turkey – a turkey can just see so much more.
2: Yeah, they, just, they don't understand the part about be still, and that means be like a statue still. They think when you say be still and they have an itch, they can go ahead and scratch it. They still be still, but they're not.
1: <laughs> yeah, so look, when you get down to New Orleans and they got those guys standing on a corner like a statue, that's when you need to tell yeah. your daughter that's how she needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> and we always make well, a plan well, what- to take her. You know, I, I try to take her more turkey hunting than I do deer hunting.
2: Turkey hunting—you don't have to just sit in one spot for three or four hours waiting for it to get dark and the deer to move. With you know turkey hunting, if nothing's going on, you can sit there twenty or thirty minutes. And you can get up and walk through the woods, and then they—it's like a little nature walk, and you can let them run the crawl and they dissipate. You know, There's a lot more, a lot more yeah, no, going actually, on
0: for turkey. Yeah,
2: my right. daughter—I took her deer hunting, and she was all excited about bow hunting deer. We got her a bow, and um, and then she hunted and she enjoyed it. But then afterwards, she's like, oh, that was fun. But that's nothing like turkey hunting. <laughs> turkey hunting, you get to move stuff. It's so boring. Yeah. I, uh,
3: I actually watched the video um, night before last of when your daughter was hunting with you and the turkey gobbled when, when you were talking to the camera and the turkey like <laughs> cut you off. Yeah,
2: that, that turkey was close. And that was a loud gobble. It just not. My- My brain a split second to register, like this bird is like in gun range and on the ground. Yeah, I was totally not expecting that.
3: Yeah, that was a great video. Yeah, it was a nice bird, too. I I got another question, Shane. If you know, and if you don't want to answer it (laughs) uh, completely, I understand, but you know, everybody knows you're like public land guru as far as turkey hunting goes, and that's kind of you know, all throughout the nation. What are two or three things that you think are keys to being successful uh, on public land?
2: Oh, my well, gosh, that's a, a tough one, too. I, I think the first thing that pops in my head is um, something I tell a lot of people is to put in the time out there. You know, if you watch me on these videos, um, you'll see that I'm I'm up at 3 in the morning. Right. I'm out there hunting all day. Occasionally, I'll take a little break or I'll take a nap. But I'll I stay out there till dark. I root bird. And so I'm staying in the in that turkey's environment for many, many hours a day. And you can watch, you know, there's lots of YouTube videos out there turkey hunting. You can watch some of these other guys. they go out there and they'll spend, you know, an hour, two or three in the morning. And then they'll call today and then go back the next morning or something. Right. And at least that's the appearance it gives. And, and I've hunted with people. You know, I've taken them. And, you know, we go out... I, in and going out that afternoon, so like, yeah, we didn't go out here and hunt for a few hours and try to roost birds You like you serious? I'm like, what do you mean, am I serious? Like, yeah, we have never hunted in the afternoon. We just uh, always go in the morning. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm
2: like, I'm like, man, you can go out there, even if you don't kill one, you can roost one and know exactly where he's at and slip in there closer in the morning. I mean, so I think a lot of people miss out on the opportunity of just spending more time out there, and I get it. Some people aren't as hard They 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 enjoy going out in the morning here in Baldwin. Nothing. I used to do that when I was younger. I'd go out there in the morning, Nothing was going on. I'd meet my brother at the local. Um, it was called the Country I almond mean, We'd go there for breakfast in the morning, and uh, you know, have a nice big breakfast, go home, and take a nap. Maybe go out there for an uh, early afternoon hunt, and just kind of low key and and just uh, a casual style of hunting. But the more I got into it, the more diehard, hard I guess I got into it. The, Going to the store to get breakfast wasn't high on the priority list, <laughs> and so uh, yeah. I think that's one of the big, big things is just spending more time out there all day, you know, as many hours as possible. Yeah. Um, the other, I think, the other thing that's really helped me is improving my calling. When I got into calling contests, and you know, you really have to focus on practicing and, and making the correct sounds to to win contests. And I didn't mind that; I enjoyed it. But, you know, as a result, I got to be a better caller. And there's a lot of people who are going to dispute this, you know, what I'm about to say. You know, those, you a lot of people say, oh, you ain't got to be a great caller to kill a turkey, which is true. You don't. Because I killed a bunch when I was younger, and I was a terrible caller. But I have noticed an uh, uh, improvement or uh, increase in the odds of me killing one the better my callers got. Not only does it sound more realistic, but it's not just getting a better yelp. You know, when I was younger all I could do was yelp and, and do a kind of a fast yelp to sound like a cackle. And that was basically my only two only two calls I have are a mouth call. Right. You know, I can cluck and curl and pop call. But now, you know, I can do bubble clucks, I can do key keys, I can jake yelp, I can gobble, I can do different types of yelps, you know, so you have a whole toolbox of calls that you can play with now. And that definitely gives you an advantage over someone that can only just yelp, you know. Yeah, so, I agree. Oh yeah. So if I was, that would be my two main points to being better out there: is to spend more time out there and try to be a better caller. And the more you work on your calling, the more you learn what they need just by because you're going to watch more videos of turkeys calling. There's plenty of them on YouTube. You know, so well, there's, there's nothing wrong. With it. You can't you can't get a become a worse hunter by spending more time out there and, and improving your calling. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to do nothing but better yourself.
3: I, I got a, another question, Shane, while we're talking about calling and stuff. At, at what point in your life did you figure out that this coyote howl is like it?
2: Well, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you the story how I started doing the coyote howl first. And um, and I, I always knew that kind of the louder sounds were, would, would help you trigger a gobble just like the laugh of my barred owl. I knew that helped, you know, and, and then plus you'd hear Cody's how and you, they, they'd to it. But I was at the at the Grand Nationals, and they uh, some of the callers started on a Friday night. Uh, they started a locator contest, and it wasn't sanctioned by the NMOTF. It was just something the callers all agreed, and, put, and we, you know, put it on ourselves. We got trophies made, and, and uh, there was a couple of callers that actually did. I wasn't involved in putting on the contest or anything. I just participated. But part of the locator contest was you had to do like three different locator calls and I think you had to do them I can't remember if you had to do them on each different type of call. You had to do like an owl hoot. You had like four to pick from. Owl hooting, coyote howling, pileated woodpecker, and say crow calling. There might have been five of them. But you had to do like three of them up there in the contest. And so I picked you know, owl hooting, I think I did crow or something and my paleo woodpecker was horrible and just on the, on the kind of a spur of the moment that it was that night that I came up with it the, the night of the contest I, I started just trying to bark and howl on the mouth call and it sounded not that bad one of the other callers came up and said man that's, that's not too bad you should do that in the contest I said well that's what I'm trying to figure out I need a third call to do <laughs> and so uh I didn't win, uh, but it sounded good enough to me that I kept practicing about it, and then I started using it in the wood, and definitely saw the uh, how the drivers responded to it when when a houses wouldn't work, coyote howl sometimes was the ticket.
3: Yeah, I, I called my brother today, and um, when he answered the phone, that was the first thing I heard was the coyote bark and howl on the mouth call, and he was like, he was like, I did it, I did it. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool, man. He's kind of following your example, you know, yeah, be a lot of people out there howling.
1: <laughs> yeah. You yeah. think you're in a whole pack of coyotes here, surely? <laughs>
3: hey, if, if it works, it what? works. Oh, it yeah, definitely you works. What a bunch,
2: it's a, a bunch of times that I'll do it when I'm out of turkey hunting. And instead of a gobbler responding, I get coyotes responding, which sometimes they trigger gobbles, you know, howling in the distance.
1: Right. Yeah, depending on if the gobbler's near them, you know. You know what I was thinking. If if the gobbler's
2: not near me, he ain't going to gobble sometimes. But if I fire a that are near him, he definitely will. Or in between. Yeah, and that can be the, yeah. that's kind of the advantage. You know, I tell a lot of people about realism. A lot of people scoff at it and and, uh, just kind of disregard it. They don't take it as serious as I guess I do. I'm all about realism, and that's one of the reasons. Your whole goal is not just uh, to sound like an animal or sound better than the next person trying to sound like that. I'm trying to improve my odds of getting a bird gobble and tag and tag one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people say you can just slam a car door and get a turkey you gobble. You can you can blow an air horn. Yeah, you can do all that. And if the gobbler's in the right mood, he'll gobble to any noise. But a coyote's not going to reply to you with a car door, and a, a barred owl's not going to reply to you with <laughs> a car door. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You have to have something that's in nature that right. they're already used to.
2: Yeah, and then if you, but if you, like I said, you reach out there and you can't get a gobble because he's too far away, but you strike up that barred owl, which I have done before, and you know, four hundred yards away, and there was a gobbler near that barred owl, and he, he gobbled to him, or the coyote, you know, those are priming examples of you know, the advantages of sounding realistic.
3: You, you know what I'm waiting on? I'm waiting on the guy that figures out how to reproduce thunder and lightning. <laughs> that would I tell you what, a turkey gobble almost 100% of the time to attract lightning. For sure. <laughs> the most shot goblin I've ever seen was thunder and lightning. I, I
2: killed a couple of birds in a thunderstorm where every time that lightning was cracking you know, to get get that roll of thunder, they sound off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. So, I mean, this was back in the days of check stations in South Carolina. I had to take my bird to the check station. And the lady was like, I mean, I got there early. It was, you know, it was because of the cloud cover, it was still pretty low light. And she's like, you went hunting out in this mess this morning? And it was pouring <laughs> down rain and thunder and lightning. I was like, I was like yeah, I killed one right after, right after sun, I mean, right after fly down, right. And uh, she, she grabbed my... my shirt that i had on she's like son you are drenched
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah you gotta go when you can go man
2: well probably wouldn't went out there if it was pouring down rain and the fact that i had him gobbling to the to the thunder and then it started pouring down rain and he was getting closer so i just sat there and i was praying to god that lightning didn't strike the tree the <laughs> oh yeah
1: yeah <laughs> that would have been a bad day <laughs> you ever think that when it does start raining and lightning that a lot of people give up because of uh, yep. the lightning, and I know I have in the past. But it was a downpour. It's hard to stick Remember it out. I just
2: take my chances. I just take my chances. Odds of lightning hitting the tree I'm at. Although I don't, I don't uh, intentionally go out in the thunderstorm to hunt. But if I get caught out in one, I'm a long way from the truck. I don't, I don't go running back to the truck.
3: When it yeah. starts, so I always you hear that Really, you start peeling your ears back when the lightning starts popping. <laughs> Is one going to go?
2: I'm always afraid if, if I start running back to the truck, I'm going to build up static electricity and it's going to attract lightning, so I just <laughs> <stay sealed. laughs> oh, yeah. You know, uh, I've seen rain cost me birds, too, though. I was hunting one time, and I had a couple of hens and, and a couple of toms and you a pool strutting behind them, just slowly working their way to me, and they got to about 60 yards just out of gun range, you know, 50 or 60 yards. I was going... Back then, I was only shooting like 35 yards is about what I would limit myself to. I've, I've increased that to about 40 now. I, I, every so often, I may shoot one at 45, but that's far and few be between. But anyway, they were steadily coming. Hands were showing a little bit of interest, just pecking away, and I was called off, when it started raining. And uh, those jokers broke strut, followed the hands over to some pine trees, and they got up under those pine trees and just kind of hunkered down. And that rain passed, and they came, you know, they shook off. Started preening their feathers for a little bit. and I made a few soft yelps, and they just kept preening their feathers, and then you know, shaking off, getting dry. And then all of a sudden, they just turned around and walked away. And I'm like, man, if it hadn't started raining, they would have kept on coming there. It wouldn't have been another another
1: 20 yards I could have killed one. Right. But it changed their mood just like that. Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. I got one more question for you, uh, Shane. What are some of the biggest mistakes you feel hunters make on public or private land turkeys? Well,
2: mm. I guess, uh, I don't know, there's probably a lot, but uh, one, of the probably common ones a crowd, one of the common ones I see is just, uh, and I'm, I'm totally basing this on what I see on videos and stuff, because I, I haven't hunted with enough people to, to know the answers fully, but I, one of the common ones I see like on YouTube videos and stuff is um, well, it's kind of a two-part. Number one is they they make calls with no rhyme or reason. They've got birds coming in. And they're just dragging a peg across a pot and potting, making purrs, you know, with no no real reason why they're doing it. Do they want it to sound like a feeding hen and and it's not really a feeding fur; it's kind of a more of a aggressive fur. Right. Or they'll or they'll keep they'll keep calling constantly, you know, especially if they're in a ground blind where they can move. They just say yup, 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 yup and the gobbler's kind of running to them. At that point, you don't need to call. Get your get your gun up. Now if he stops to... And, that, and so that's usually what happens. You get somebody that starts calling. You got a bird that's kind of walking quickly in, and he stops to lift his head to listen. Now you just, just stop his progression. Um, the only time I would call is a bird, a bird coming in, and, and then he stops and looks, and he's like staring. I may do a little pop under under my breath, yelp, you know, um, just to you know, relax him. Maybe a little fur or something, a little bubble pluck. Um, But that's that's kind of the more more common question uh, mistakes I see is people calling at the absolute wrong time or or using the wrong call or just calling too loudly. for example yeah right. back it down the closer they get back that call volume down
1: kind of like educating them
2: yeah I mean, I mean every time you call and stop them you just you just stop in their your forward movement and it'll take them longer to get in the gun range. i don't know this i'd have to rack my brain i could probably come up with a few other mistakes i mean i made mistakes I'm, i move too much sometimes i I'm not patient enough. It's almost coughing a few birds where I thought I waited long enough, and I just let my guard down. You know, Alabama, that happened. I had a bird walk in while I lowered my gun on my leg, leg started looking at the map, make making my next move. The Michigan hunt I just posted. Bird fished out, and I thought he flew away. I didn't know he'd landed. He was coming back in the woods because I, I heard another gobbler across the road, and I thought it was him. So thought it was the one I'd watched fly out of the tree. I'm like, oh, man, he's 300 yards away. So I let my guard down, started talking to the camera. Here he come waltzing up. And, uh, I mean, that's a big mistake that I'm guilty of. Is uh, not being patient enough and giving another 10 minutes and keeping your guard up, keeping your gun up on your leg.
3: Yeah. I think that's one thing that I've learned from watching your video, Shane, is, you know, you're patient. And I think that is one of the big mistakes of a lot of turkey hunters, If, you know, a lot of people feel like if I can't hear him gobbling, I got to make a move, you know, and
1: I'll keep calling. Right. And And
3: watching Shane's videos, you know, he'll say, all right, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and plan my next move. And sometimes that bird will start gobbling again and Shane hadn't made a sound. So that's one thing that I've kind of learned watching his videos, you know, it's key patience.
2: I've mentioned that to people also, um, about not making a sound, just sitting there. Um, the Mississippi hunt is a, a good example of invert, inadvertently going quiet. I planned to sit there. I was going to sit there for a few minutes and then start making some calls. But, I, uh, Catman had called me, Jonathan Bone. He has a YouTube channel also.
3: Oh, yeah. I watch out. him too. Yeah. We follow Catman.
2: He, he, he gave me a call and I was on the phone with him for about 10 or 15 minutes because I was supposed to meet him in Tennessee. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm out in the woods right now, you know, I finally ended the call, so I'm going to get, I need to get back to turkey hunting if I'm going to kill something. And I hung up the phone, I think it was like the first series of calls or second series of calls after that phone call. I made a call and he hammered. And I'm suspecting that, you know, he had heard my earlier calling as I was walking close to the woods and I, he hadn't heard me in a while and he started to look for me. And then I made that call and kind of a, a shop gobble to it. But other times, you know, I've, I've told people this, you know, you you, you walk walking and calling, walking and, walk and calling. And sometimes you can just sit down and there there's you know, potentially a gobbler that to, to hear you and he was making his way to you but he wasn't making a sound. But right. then all of a sudden you went quiet for twenty minutes and he's wondering where the in he finally has to gobble in order to contact you. He's, at, he's basically yelling out, Hey, I've been listening to you and trying to get to you. Now you went quiet, where'd you go? Right. And and like you said, just being quiet for fifteen and I don't mind sitting down for 20, 30 minutes, not making a piece. So, you know, when you get up early and go to bed late, sometimes it's, it's a nice break to sit there and maybe even start to doze off. <laughs> do That's you, do you find
3: sometimes, Shane, that you kill birds that just came in silent and never really gobbled much and just slipped in?
2: I, I can't say that I've killed a, a – I've killed some that come in quiet, come sneaking in, but um, – it's been many years since I've had some that I made a call and then just sat there. And all of a sudden, you know, I used to kind of deer hunt when I was younger. I'd go find a spot, and this was on public land also. I'd go find a spot that I liked, and it was just so happened I didn't realize it was a transition area at that point that I was hunting. It was kind of my favorite spot to hunt because I'd find a lot of turkey down there all the time, and it was basically where some hardwoods met times along the street. Yeah. But my strategy was was to go sit up, set up, and make a few calls. And then just sit there for 30, 40, thirty, forty-five minutes or longer. And I, back then, man, I, did, I I was I took it to heart about movement. I had my gun kind of resting on my knee in the semi-ready position. When I was looking around left and right, scanning for stuff, I look. I used my eyeballs. I didn't move my head. I looked, scanned scan my eyeballs as far to the left as I could until I couldn't turn them any further, and then I slowly start cranking my head that way. Right. And then I do the same thing back to right. I was like that the entire time. And I had birds sometimes also that I just noticed a little flicker of movement. Here come a bird. It never made a sound. And I've been there an hour.
0: Yeah. And
2: I shot and I probably I've probably cost myself birds over the recent years because I just can't hunt 'em like that anymore. That's too too much like deer hunting. Yeah. And I'm sure it's cost me birds. So it's probably why I haven't had a whole lot just come sneaking in. I have had them come sneaking in but these were birds I knew were in the area. And right. I made some calls and then I've been quiet and ended up killing them. I don't know if there's one around, and I'm not going to sit there for an hour unless I'm just doing some blind call and just trying to take it easy for a while.
3: Yeah. One of the things old-timers always told me about turkey hunting, you know, down here in the south, a lot of times if a turkey answers you in the tree, he will eventually come back to where you were calling from. Uh, a lot of them down here come in silent, I think, because there's so much hunting pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, even uh, Michael Chamberlain had a, with the biologist, was he in Georgia or Alabama, one of the two, um, where they had GPS, um, not GPS collars, but they had GPS tracking devices on turkeys. And, and one of the examples he gave, uh, there was a hunter that, was in proximity to a gobbler that morning because they had a tractor on the hunter as well. He left around 8 o'clock and then, you know, a couple hours later that gobbler went like within 20 yards of that location. And I've had this happen, you know, in the past where I go out in the woods hunting and hear birds and gobbling and they drift off and then I come back you know, later in the morning back, you know, I'll go hunting in other places, walk in the woods, and you know, I'll come back to that area mid-morning, first call, he hammers, he's he's right there in that area and he's all by himself.
3: Right, where you were set up I'm, before.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's in that general area and then it was easy, you know, mid-morning, I used to love those mid-morning strike a bird is almost a guarantee. It was like, you know, 75% or more of the time he comes right in.
3: Right. You know, I'm sure, everybody's kind of got their favorite call. If there was one call, and you could only take one call on every turkey hunt. What would that call be, and why?
2: I guess uh, in my current age and, and skill level, it have to be the mouth call, just because I can. I can do so many more things with it than any other individual call. Like you know, I can't a pot call. I can do some uh, yelping and some cutting and stuff. A right. box call, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not great, you know. But my mouth call, I can yelp. I can gobble, Jake elk. I can coyote how. There's my locator call. So I kind of have a little bit of everything all in one, rolled up in one. That would that'd be kind of the obvious choice for me to take them out,
1: so. Right. I was sitting here thinking for a second, and I got hung up. But uh, when you do get to these public land areas, after you've rode around for a day or so, Catman and all them, they kind of camp out in their trucks or pitch tents and stuff like that. Does that make it easier for you all to locate birds, being that you're kind of more local? To the area that you're trying to go go to before somebody else kind of gets there.
2: Well, I can't. I can't speak for them. I don't. I don't usually sleep at a gate or anything like that, right? Or, or, or but I can't speak for them. But I can speak for myself. I, my truck is my in my home when I'm out turkey hunting. I got you. I sleep in that. I sleep in that front seat most of the time. Occasionally, I'll crawl in the back. But um, I think it does have its advantages over having a fixed. Camping location, like if you went and put a tent up somewhere, and then you drove from that to go hunting, because it's my basically it's my tent, and it goes wherever I go. It gives me mobility uh, advantages. So if you're hunting a huge, say like this a, a track land up here in Minnesota that's huge, and, and I sleep down there because it's uh, you know it's a few hours from my home, and it it can take you a half hour more to drive from one side to the other. And if you have a camp on one side and you're hunting, you discover hey there's some birds or other. Now you just increase your morning drive, you know, by a half hour and then a half hour back. And I think it's a an advantage for me to, to use my truck as a mobile camp because, you know, I, it's wherever I'm at. And if I find turkeys 30 minutes away, then I don't have to break camp and go anywhere.
1: Right. You don't have to break everything down. You could just be more mobile, get there a little bit quicker. I, and I, don't,
2: I don't go all out like a lot of people that are traveling turkey hunters or t- traveling hunters, I should say and they might pull an RV trailer or if they've got their wife with them and, you know, make a family trip out of it and they got to have all this, uh, this big set up and stuff. I've got a tupperware container with a change of clothes. I've got a crop pot that I use to plug in my tiling verb if I want something to eat. I, I actually eat horribly when I'm on the road. If I go, grab, go into a you know a convenience store and grab an egg roll or a hot dog or something, I'm good to go, a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
2: It's a wonder I don't lose weight during turkey season (laughs) because I eat so poorly, but I I don't eat a whole lot. I'm more, more concerned about filming and, and dumping footage. and I take advantage of that times and times to grab a quick bite, but you know, the turkey honey is my mission and, and trying to be successful at that. And (laughs) I ain't got time for all the luxuries of, oh, I'm going to get the grill out and fire up and cook some burgers or something. It's whatever I can open up a package and shove in my mouth. That's the way it goes.
3: I got another question about Mississippi, Shane. Um, I've hunted several different public land areas in Mississippi and a lot of private land in North Mississippi. And we've always seemed to have trouble roosting birds in the evening. And I was just curious, in your experience in Mississippi, have you had a lot of luck roosting birds in the
2: evening? That's, that's just the way it is down south, here. You know, I grew up in South Carolina, and we've rarely got birds to gobble in the evening. I, think, I can think of, like, twice that I got birds to gobble in the evening my whole time growing up down there. Yeah. It just, just seems like southern birds don't want to talk in the evening. Now, I watch, you know, you guys watch hunting public. I watch them. I see them in some of their Mississippi videos or their, or their uh, Alabama videos or wherever they're hunting. It seems like they have pretty good, good success getting birds to gobble in the evening.
0: Right. Now,
2: I will say this. I did get one to gobble last year in Mississippi in the evening. It was like my last day of hunting, and I was walking out of the, out of the woods, and and, and I was about a hundred yards from the truck, and I saw a dead pine tree. You know, it had been lost its bark and everything, it had a hole in it. And I was like, that was like a woodpecker a hole, like something a pillion woodpecker. And I was just thinking to myself as I was walked out. By that time, a pileated woodpecker came flying in and landed on the tree right next to that hole and, and did the. <laughs> Yeah, and a bird, gobbler. The gobbler started off about sixty yards away, and I'm like, "Holy cow, there's a gobbler right here." He's already up in the tree roosting, and um, and so I it's in my video. Where I just I didn't have my owl hooter handy. I just said, "Woo!" and he started off again, and I'm like, "Man, I can't believe it's not only you know, it was shocking that it was one rooster that close to my truck, but I couldn't hunt him anymore. I couldn't hunt him the next morning. But the fact that he was gobbling, I got him to gobble like six or eight times." Wow, and, uh, Man, that's
0: pretty crazy. But uh,
2: other otherwise, I mean, it's it, it's a rarity to get one to gobble in the evening down there. And I know up here, it's much easier to get one to gobble in the evening. As soon as they hit the trees, if you can hit a Cody howl or a barred owl, there's a good good chance he's going to gobble in the spring.
3: Yeah, I've had decent luck in Missouri getting them to gobble in the evenings, but down south, it's a it's a whole other deal.
2: Yeah, I've been to Georgia uh, and it was tough there. That was many years ago. South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, all four of those five of those. Um, Florida, trying to remember if I any in Florida. Yeah, you know, Florida seems to be a little easier. We've gotten them to travel there pretty easy. I think the alpeola turkey is actually not that hard of a turkey to hunt. It's uh it's more of a finding, you know, getting away from the crowds type of deal. Uh, I think the turkey itself is easier to call in than uh Easter
3: right out of all the different uh bird subspecies you've hunted which one do you think is is the easiest or you know vice versa the toughest to call in
2: i think the eastern's the easiest to call in i think just because of the way their flock structure is set up you know you 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 got some long gobblers out there It's, it's in the timber most of the time and then um you know, you get to these Western birds, reals and Miriams, a lot of times they're still in big flocks all year long. Every once in a while you'll catch them alone and you can call one in It seems to happen the Eastern, or gobble and come into your calling. But overall, I think the easterns are easier to call. It doesn't mean they're easier to hunt and kill. Right, right. Um, it, it's easier to get on Western birds, you know, because they like to the gobble a lot. They're very vocal, so you can pinpoint them and you know, get, to you know, closer to them. The hard part about issues is they're not as vocal. But when you can get one, it's hot. It's gobbling. and they're easier to call in, just kind of my personal opinion, or, yeah, my opinion. I've been on Miriam turkeys and, uh, and stuff. And you, they gobble their head off and you call to them and they just gobble and go the other way or just ignore you. But they'll gobble. Now, with that said, I know I said the Osceola is easier to call in. It's, um, it just seems like they're easy to call in. A lot of times, if you can uh, try to kind of phrase this correctly, the, the the Easterns just seem to be like hot, more hot headed. When you can get on one, they come running in, and uh, they're not, you know, sometimes they they're stubborn, they sneak in. But the the Osceolas in general just seems like if you can get one, that's hot. They come in. Uh, there's no sneaking in or creeping like a public land the Eastern. They they just come. They come in. They walk on in.
3: I, I've actually I mean, not had the pleasure to to hunt Miriams or anything, but you know most of the turkey hunting I've done has been easterns.
2: Yeah, I think definitely I think they're the, the most enjoyable to hunt, and but I I think they're I think the reason that is also because I mostly hunt them in timber. I think hunting turkeys in the timber is just more enjoyable in general, <laughs> even if it was a Miriam right. or a Rio. Yeah, it's I think it's that. I think it's that surprise, that suspense. You you can hear him gobbling, you can hear him drumming, for instance, or or you can hear those footsteps. You just can't see them because of the, you know the trees and leaf cover.
0: Yeah. Whereas think- if
2: you were hiding open terrain, you see him 300 yards away, getting closer and closer. So there's none none of that buildup. Okay, when am I going to see him? You know, all of a sudden, see a white head pop up somewhere. I think that's what makes it more enjoyable for me is just the timber blocking the view.
1: Right. So, Shane, out of all the states you've ever hunted, and I know you've hunted a pretty good bit, do you have one specific state that you like the most more than another?
2: Well, I, I, I guess I, I have to have answers answer to that
1: one. Or just specific, you know, type of bird.
2: Well, I, I prefer hunting easters, in general, just because of the way they act. And, and like I said, because I, I think that I'm usually in timber hunting them. If I had to pick like a state to hunt, it'd be like Wisconsin just because I live next door to it. I'm not only 10 minutes away. non resident fees are pretty low. You can get multiple tags. And I mean, like you could get like 10 or 15 tags if you wanted to, if they if they had any left. You can buy leftover tags, basically. Wow. And so you can buy multiple tags. If I had to pick another area based on not necessarily the... You know, Wisconsin also has a lot of public land so it you know, makes it inviting in that regard so theres know liberal limits low fees lots of public areas that have turkey but i i think those western birds also are real fun for me to hunt and that's mainly because of how vocal they are it's yeah. just it's fun to hear turkeys gobble and know know where they're at you oh, know? No, you doubt. even if they're not coming to your college at least you feel like you're in the game more i mean so right. i' been spend six hours anybody that's I guess anybody that's listening hasn't turkey hunting. Imagine going out in the woods for six hours in the morning, from daybreak till noon, and not hearing a single gobble, even though there are turkeys around. They're just not responding, and not killing anything. Or going somewhere and hunting for six hours and hearing lots of goblins and still not killing anything or seeing anything. You, I guarantee you, are going to have a more enjoyable experience knowing, I mean, hearing those birds. Oh yes. And even though both times you didn't kill anything,
1: I can assure you because it's way more interesting when you when something's interacting to to what you're doing. Kind of like yeah. going back to deer hunting. You rather see no deer or see fifty deer? Yep.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hear deer. Even if I don't see deer, I'd like to hear one. Right. Of, you know, I've gone deer hunting before and and not seen anything, but I also gone deer hunting before and not seen anything, but heard one grunting going right. through the woods, and I knew it was a buck. And you know that right there. I I got back the guy that owned the property, I got back, he's like, You see anything? I was like, No, but man, there was a buck, he was just grunting up the storm. He must have been tending to a doze up the hill above me. I said, it' it's so cool. I was grunting, he was grunting and uh, you know was, I mean that right there, even though I didn't see anything, just made it, you know, it was, made for was, a, great a great day.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: I got another question, Shane, just out of curiosity. how old were you when you started turkey hunting?
2: Well I think I was I think I was about twelve. 13, someone in that area. My dad, you know, back then, we didn't have, uh, we just didn't have home safety and all that. You know, growing up in the South, as soon as your parents felt you were, I guess, mature enough to carry a gun, even if you were like 11 or 12, they, they kind of judged how much common sense you had. <laughs> they trust you with one. Right. You know, my dad, he let me use his, his single, uh, single barrel, single shot, single barrel, <laughs> his single shot shotgun. And go out in the woods with my brother and, you know, just shoot, you know, kind of walk around and shoot things, I guess. Um And then he kind of, like, getting stringy. He's like, yeah, you got to get, uh, uh, don't be shooting stuff you're not supposed to be, you know. But then I, I finally got a turkey. I can't remember. Yeah, was, I didn't have to get a turkey license. I, I think it was. I wasn't required to until I was 16. But, man, I got my first taste of turkey hunting, in, you know, 13 or 14, a couple of years after I first started hunting. I caught in a bird like my first time that I set up, but I didn't know it was a turkey coming. I could hear something walking the leaves and it sounded like a person. And I was hunting. I actually I was hunting on public land because we had public land that butted up to our property. I could hear through the leaves and it sounded like a person, a two-legged
0: person. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so I had my gun laying on my leg, figuring it's another turkey hunter on the public land. And when he came around, it was like a, a big deadfall. The tree had been blown over by a storm or something, all these dead leaves. on, so I couldn't see around it. Popped out around the side of that tree, and instead of it being a hunter, it was a, it was a jake. A <laughs> and I was like, man, I got my gun on my lap. He's looking at me, so I grabbed, and I slowly started bringing the gun up. And he stood there and looked at me the whole time until I got the gun up to my shoulder. And I closed my left eye to aim the down the barrel. As soon as I closed that left eye, eye he
3: said,
1: and he was gone. And I like, <laughs> yeah, like, man, oh, this one.
3: that, that yeah. makes me think about something else. Like, I, I don't know if it's like this, where you hunt, where you hunt, but I, I've actually had a lot of Jake's ruin hunts for me, you know, doing that put and run yeah. off, just see something or hear something they didn't like. And the long beard's like, Oh, Jake's are leaving, I gotta go.
2: I've had him I haven't had him do that, but I've had him chase off the long before. I had um this is on that little track of public near where, where I grew up and I used to love that spot. And now they later in the morning. I had it that morning, didn't get anything or anything. I went, went back later in the morning to a different area and I got one to gobble. And while I'm calling him, he's gobbling, he's head getting closer. I hear and he's off to my left, I hear gobbling off to my right and it sounds like multiple birds. I'm like, oh, man, I got them from the left and the right. I'm going to kill one for sure. The ones to the right were getting there quicker than the ones to the left that had already, already made a lot of ground. And when I finally saw the ones from the left coming, it was a big old uh, gobbler, a big old long beard, and he was coming. And all of a sudden, I caught movement to the right, and here come like three or four jakes running. And they met met right out in front of me, and there was no way for me to even get a shot. They just got there in a little cluster. That gobbler tried to defend himself for a second and then he turned tail and ran and there went my long beard and and back then i, you know, I wasn't opposed to shooting jake right. right there went there went the whole bunch and i was sitting there scratching my head didn't even get a fire shot <laughs> oh man
3: yeah i was me and my brother were actually hunting some private land in mississippi last year and we had actually called a long beard 450 yards across a field and You know, he took his time. You know how turkeys do. It took him probably an hour to get to within about 80 yards. And he got to about 80 yards, and he kind of just stood up tall and looked to his right up the field edge where we couldn't see, and he just takes off running like diagonal and away from us across the field. And I'm thinking coyotes, bobcats, people, you know, something – Something has spooked this turkey away from us. Cause we were dead still, not making a sound, just soft yelp every once in a while. And I look up and there's 11 Jakes on this bird's butt. And he runs like a big semi circle, like 300 yards out in the field. And he swings around mm-hmm. and comes right up in our face at like 10 yards and just gobbles. Like, I mean, like you could feel the percussion, when he gobbled in our face and you know I realized after the hunt my brother killed him but I realized after the hunt what he did was he just tried to leave those Jake's way out there and then run back and hurry up and get the hen you know yeah well, throw him off the truck the trail <laughs> right but I, that was the first time I had actually seen one do
2: that yeah I've had him I've had him ruin a few of my hunts you know but I haven't had him it hasn't been you know a tremendous amount that even give me worries I know I see a lot of people talk about all these gang of jakes right the word. i don't i don't give it too much concern i i like i like to see the group of jakes i mean there's gonna be some gobblers for the following year
1: right some of them jakes goblin can even bring a bring a long beard in from different areas too
2: yeah especially you get one of those, those dominant gobblers. he knows he can whoop up on them right <laughs> or those
1: <laughs> yeah or those
2: those groups you know you get those siblings long beards of like two or three of them together yeah, they'll they'll run a little group of jakes
1: off. Uh, jakes are like ninjas, yeah. <laughs> especially when, especially when it's a group of them. A long beard yeah, is kind of like they nah. They all bark, like. Right, <laughs> kind of like a chihuahua. <laughs> a,
3: a lot of yeah. the the birds we hunt in Mississippi, like I've seen this several times. A long beard, he he has his little Jake running buddy. It's like everywhere you see that Jake, you're gonna see that long beard, or he's not far behind.
2: I haven't seen that a whole lot. I did, I did have that in South Carolina a few years ago, hunting with my nephew. We had a gobbler come in and had a Jake with him. Those are, I mean, they were running together apparently.
0: Yeah.
2: And that that gobbler, that long bear was trying to outrun that Jake. They were racing each other to get to get through it. <laughs> but yeah. you don't see that too often. Usually, it's you know long bears together
3: or Jake. So the turkey calls that you make. Um, if you don't mind, could you just tell us, you know, about the calls you make and where people could go to, to buy calls from you?
2: Yeah. So they can go to my website, callingonturkeys.com, uh, to to look at the calls and and to buy ones they want to. But, um, I still hook calls on my site also, but also make some. The Prodigy line of calls, I have the original Prodigy, they are red tape. And then I have the Prodigy Elite and I'll explain the, the concept behind those, you know, people listen go watch my mouth call mechanics video on youtube just search mouth call mechanics and you'll understand the airflow uh, that i'm going to talk about so basically right. once you determine your airflow you can pick your call you know a person running a combo cut for instance or a, con- a reverse combo you know has that big gap and that slit and it gives them a nice sound but people running a center airflow or a ghost cut that's usually the only call available so is kind of a ghost cut and there's no slits and it's they really can't get the sound that, say, a person with a combo cut. So I was when I created my Prodigy line, the idea was to create three calls that are built exactly the same, same tension, same reeds, uh, thicknesses, cons- uh, all the construction is the same. The only difference is the cut, where they're located. There's a combo, a uh, reverse combo, and then a center cut. Instead of leaving it as a standard just ghost cut, I put splits on either side to try to copy the sound capabilities of, say, a combo cut. So if you like the sound of a call, you can get one that matches your airflow. And, and in theory, they should sound pretty close. So if you're a center caller, you can get that project E. Or if you're a left caller, you can get a project L. Well, that I designed that call also to be for someone that wants something that's easy to blow. It's got really ultra thin reeds it's light tension, so it doesn't require much air. The issue with that. If I'm using that call and I'm trying to get real aggressive, now I can get aggressive on it, but if I'm just hammering on that call, sometimes that that light tension and those thin reeds can't handle that, and you start getting some tips and real high squeaky or high-pitched sound. So I decided Mm -hmm. to to make another line to call the Prodigy Elite, which is basically the same exact design. It's just thicker reeds and a little different tension to allow for that more aggressive calling. Now, on the downside of that is you lose a little bit of that real soft stuff. I can still call it soft, but I can't quite call it soft as, say, with the original Red Prodigy. And then I have my whole Mouth Call Mechanics kit that has different cuts, and that's just a basic three read. There's combo cuts, or split Vs, bat wings, you can kind of pick which one you want. Those sell really well, too. People, those are, those are kind of the middle ground. You can call soft and call aggressive. Uh, neither end of the spectrum is, is, Go better than the other. Just kind of a middle of the ground call.
1: So for somebody that's just learning how to call or looking into getting into turkey hunting, just say a teenager or you know somebody that knows like just from box call or slate call or pot call, they look into advance into more of a mouth call. Do you have any suggestions on the airflow? For what particular call they need to do, or should they buy multiple calls, or you know I'm, multiple brands?
2: I would I would suggest they start off, you know, watching that video mouth call mechanic just to get an understanding of how the calls are made and, and your airflow and how to determine your airflow, all that good stuff. Now I made that mouth call mechanics kit so people would have a location to easily get a kit that has calls that are cut for different airflows, and then they can test it. But you don't have to buy that kit. You can you can take an old call you have at home and Cut the the top read off to get an uncut call, or you can, you know, go to the local store that you're sporting the store and pick up a few calls. You don't have to buy my kit. I just make that so you can play with it. Right. Um. That's where I start at. I would start out watching that video, and then either getting the kit or either collecting some old calls that you have. You know, if you're like me when I first started buying turkey calls, I just bought an assortment of them and tried them all. So you may have some assortment laying around. Oh yeah. Um. If you're just looking for a, a call that that I produce, it's all a good uh, that I think is a good all-around call. That prodigy C, one of the side effects or positive side effects of it was, even though I'm a left airflow caller, that mm-hmm. prodigy C being in the center, and I think it's just because it has those two slits, it makes it's a just a pretty good all-around call. It's kind of like a split B. split V is just a a good call for anybody. Right. Now you won't be able to call. Get that high front in, or or a key key run, you know, it's almost impossible. It's, I'd say I wouldn't say it's impossible. I'm sure somebody can do it, but it's a little more difficult. But just an all around good yelping call, or or cutting call, kind of like that a neutral, of kind of, of like a neutral line call. of that. Yeah, it was would, it was would on the line of those split D that probably you see. I mean, it's just right. kind of a positive side of that. But if you have a center airflow, it makes a great call for you for center airflow callers. But I got you. That's kind of the, the the strategy going forward, I would say for someone starting out or wanting to get started in my alcohol. That
1: sounds great. Shane, we've been on here for a hour and 12 minutes. I don't want to hold you up any longer than what we have. So before uh, we kind of close out, can you tell everybody who you are and where they can find you at?
2: Well, yeah, I have the, like I mentioned earlier, I have my YouTube show. and Just look up Shane Simpson on YouTube and you'll find my channel. I have my website, com. And that's where you can, you can find a lot of instructional videos and actual videos and audio clips of real turkeys and barred owls and pillated woodpeckers and that sort of thing. So if you want to practice your calling, there's a few articles on my blog. And then you can order turkey calls if you like, if you want to do that. That certainly helped me. <laughs> um, and then I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I just started a TikTok account soon. So I just put the silly videos.
3: But that's kind of where you can find me at.
1: Well, I appreciate you being on here, Shane. I do. What about you, Ricky?
3: Yeah, man. It was great, man. Uh, was answered a lot of questions.
1: I'm, I'm glad some, some people reached out to even ask about you because I keep up with you on YouTube. I
2: appreciate you guys having me on. I enjoy talking turkey.
1: That's oh, yeah. Sure. As far as that, thanks, Shane Simpson. You can check him out on his YouTube channel. He's got pretty much all the yeah.
3: works. If you like turkey hunting videos, you got to check Shane out. He's got some great videos.